Joe Biden is the president-elect, and as with any new administration, there are changes coming for higher education. How will promises made on the campaign trail manifest themselves as legislation? What does the current balance of power in Washington mean for college access and affordability? How does a distinctly different approach to international relations impact international enrollment trends? How does oversight and regulation regarding data and privacy impact higher ed marketing? recruitment, and enrollment. Over the next three episodes, the Buzz Crew will unpack how the new administration will influence and affect students and the institutions that serve them. Last episode, we discussed part one of this three-part series, college affordability and access, and how likely campaign promises are to become enacted legislation. This episode, we will discuss international student enrollment and the impact of a Biden administration on the globalization of our campuses, Plus, the Buzz crew is back for our quick takes and a peek behind the curtain, Capture style. I'm Jack Klett, Director of Graduate and Online Initiatives for Capture, and I am joined, as usual, by my Buzz crew colleagues, Jamie Gleason, Director of Undergraduate Initiatives. Hi, Jamie. Hello, Jack. <laughs> Jamie is experiencing technical difficulties and will be with us shortly. I'm also joined by Ashley Austin, Capture's Client Trainer and Account Manager. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Jack. Well, you and I not being joined uh, by Jamie is like nothing new. Um, we, we, <laughs> I'm enjoying we get, the silence. <laughs> right. We've, we will start this episode, therefore, with zero references to farming, uh, uh, zero references to the blizzards that he dealt with as a child as the snow <laughs> slowly falls here in the northeast section of our great nation. Uh, oh, and Jamie is back with us. Hello, Jamie. I am back. Hello. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. It was like just a momentary rest moment for me uh, where I had this just blissful feeling as I looked out at the snow in Pennsylvania. So good to be with you, Jack. Thanks for the intro. Uh, you got it. I was concerned that the snow was somehow interfering with your access to the internets. Well, I mean, here in the old, in the farmstead, you never know exactly what's going to break, but I'm hoping that the interwebs will stay connected today. I feel like we should have, uh, well, I mean, if this was a drinking game, you know, I wonder if actually anyone has created a drinking game for the buzz. Podcasts. Ooh. I do have a little verbal pause that I do, and I'll say the word, uh, like sometimes when I'm like, so if you have a drinking game that involves that verbal pause that I, that bad habit that I have, then you might be wasted by about halfway through the show. Yeah, well, that's just you, when you get excited and you're thinking and you're trying mm -hmm. to get the words out, you, yeah. you default to, uh, but I'm thinking that farm, any reference to farming for sure. For sure. Yeah. Should be a, a drink moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, actually, I, I don't know if Ash has been with us long enough for us to learn her quirks that should be turned into uh, part two of this drinking game. Yeah, I think I think we've got a couple more podcasts before you can really dig in. Yeah. <laughs> we need to tie those trend lines together for a little bit longer. All right, guys. So we are back for uh, part two of our three-part series here, all about the implications of a new administration on higher education. Before we dive into the vexing problem that exists right now, which is international relations, uh, well, I should say international <laughs> student recruitment, uh, international relations is for a completely other podcast. <laughs> uh Let's let's dive in for our quick takes. Ashley, should we start with you? Oh, I love that you're starting with me. Yeah, let's do it. So you all know, I've, I think this is my third uh, Buzz podcast now. And so I'd like to continue the trend of good news. I've shared some good news over the past couple podcasts with quick takes. And much like Jamie did on the last uh, podcast with giving a shout out and kudos to all of you enrollment leaders. I wanted to share in that same sentiment and give a shout out to all of you lady doctors out there. Those of you that have 
put in the time and effort into obtaining your doctoral degree. And so, of course, if you've been keeping up with, with the news this week, I'm sure you have already heard the buzz about the opinion article written in the Wall Street Journal that urged Jill Biden to drop the doctor from her title. And uh, and so I wanted to just give a quick shout out to all of you, you know, not only women, but men too that have uh, gained this degree, but certainly women. Um, this struck a nerve with me, not only because I am a woman, but I have several colleagues and friends and family that hold various doctoral degrees. And I've seen firsthand just how much work goes into obtaining a degree mm -hmm. like that. And so uh, a little bit about the future first lady. She is definitely no stranger, as you know, to higher education, having taught in high schools, community colleges. Um, and of course, we all know she is a very huge supporter of community college education as well. She wrote her thesis on improving retention in community colleges. And uh, she was uh, the first wife of a VP that I know of that held a paying job during her husband's tenure as well. So she holds a pretty nice resume. So I just wanted to take this moment to highlight and appreciate and recognize um, those women that have earned those degrees because I know you and I both know it is definitely no easy feat. It can take a lifetime for a woman, I think too, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to prove credibility at, at times, no matter if you have a title or not in your in your job and career and so it's definitely grueling it's time consuming it's demanding and a lot of times you know you've got you know, you throw a family into the mix or a full-time job into the mix and sometimes it's hard to even fathom mm -hmm. um, what what it takes to to obtain that degree so also a fun fact too that i wanted to share with all of you in podcast land is that in 2018, 53% of new doctoral degrees were earned from women. And that continues to grow year year by year, which I found really interesting um, and was a record high in 2018, I, I'd like to add as well. So that's my quick take for today. Shout out to all you women doctors. Keep that title in your name and, and share it with pride because you've earned it. Uh, there's so much I want to say about this. I know this is our quick takes segment and we can't make this an entire subject of the podcast but i will tell you that uh the op-ed that was written in the wall street journal that deals with this topic uh well that where this this gentleman is saying these ridiculous making these ridiculous comments um about the value of an edd uh about the value of a phd uh, about the value of community college education, uh, the, the condescension and elitist ignorance that was in that op-ed was ridiculous. How on earth the Wall Street Journal felt that it was uh, worth the paper to print uh, or the web space uh, to provide access to it is beyond me. Um, it was ludicrous. And you know, for anyone that knows anything about history, uh, the fact of the matter is, and I should say that this gentleman was not is not a medical doctor, um, and I I don't want these comments to come across as if I am saying that medical doctors are elitist and condescending. That is not what I'm saying. Uh, I do want to point out, however, that it wasn't until really uh, the turn of the century, uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s, that uh, the medical doctorate. Uh, in any way, uh, equaled the, um, uh, mm -hmm. the rigor by which, uh, one needed to go through in, uh, securing their PhD, uh, period. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can, there's a, there's a great book, the great influenza that actually takes a look at the 1918 pandemic. Um, but in it, it chronicles medical education in the United States and um, it is really fascinating to see that this prestige that we give to the MD, which is by all by all accounts, by every account, completely worthy, uh, was completely new about a hundred years ago. Um, and that is uh, uh, anyway. I, I digress. I could go on forever, but the point is that um, that was a great quick take. <laughs> <Actually>. <laughs> Well, thank you for our historical consultant, Jack Flett. Uh, 
<laughs> on to the next quick thing, I think, unless lest they become not so quick thing. <laughs> I'm gonna, right. I, Jamie, I'm gonna you go ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna take us in a slightly different direction, although I don't think uh, I still feel like this kind of fits into the category of good news, or maybe I should call it good potential news. Um, I was reading in the Chronicle, as I do, and one of the articles that really popped out at me the other day was uh, this one that really talked about making the upcoming uh, semester break a restorative time. Okay, so like, let's paint the backdrop here. You know, I'm super familiar with this because all of my Thanksgiving plans got canceled. I was really looking forward to like going to my my homeland of upstate New York and renting a cabin. And even though we weren't staying with family, we were gonna rent this cabin in the area and do all sorts of fun stuff, uh, including one of the which was seeing my my good uh, my one of my high school friends who I haven't seen in a while, who does own a farm, by the way, a real farm. Um, Take a drink, everyone. I know there it is. <laughs> um, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but as we're looking at this, uh, the break coming up, I think that the real temptation is to bury yourself because we aren't going to get to do what we normally get to do, right? Like for, uh, you know, they're not doing the reenactment of Washington crossing the Delaware, Jack, in case you didn't know that. I know you're a historical my, consultant. My heart, my heart breaks. I know. I was going to take my mother-in-law to see that and that got canceled. And there's a lot of things that have gotten canceled. So while the temptation is to bury yourself in work so that you're not thinking about what you're not doing or what you're missing out on, uh, there is this real need for us to take a pause and to kind of step back and get some perspective. So I don't know what that looks like for the listeners out there in, uh, in podcast land, but I think that what we should make sure that we're doing is an adequate amount of self-care uh, during this break. And I'm saying that as someone who myself, uh, you know, needs to needs to do that and be a part of that. So I think embracing the break, uh, we will, uh, if, if you have a chance, look it up on the, on the Chronicle. It's called How to Have a Restorative Holiday Break During a Pandemic. I mean, the title says it all, right? I mean, it's like a self-help article. Um, but basically embrace the break and make sure that you take some time uh, to really gain some perspective. And I find it therapeutic to do a little cleaning. So do some cleaning if you need to. Cleaning. Cleaning. Yeah. Cleaning is the easiest amount of control. So when you get to clean things, organize your desk, sort your pens, the ones that work versus the one that don't work. You know, I cleaned my office this week because it was absolutely insane from a lot of things my kids had done up here. Uh, just all those little things just helps you feel better. So, and now it's snowing outside. So what else, what else do I need? I mean, it's like the, it's like, I've got all things going on. Well, I think we all could use the healing of restoration. Absolutely. That would be nice. I know what I'll be. I'm glad that you brought that up, Jamie, because I've been thinking about, um, like the ha maybe some bad habits probably that I've put, mm -hmm. put myself in while working from home and literally being home a hundred percent of it, all of my day um, and living at, not only living in my home, but working in my home. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I committed to doing this Christmas break while I'm off work is to limit my screen time. Yeah. So it's so hard to do, but not opening my laptop, maybe turn mm -hmm. off the TV, like, I've always got a TV in front of me, a phone next to me, a computer in front of me. So yeah, that's my goal. This break is to limit my screen time, limit my phone time, and just focus on being with my family in my house and my dog yeah. and watching Christmas movies. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, being present is super hard, right? Being present, uh, and especially in this world that we live in, I think uh, the digital era has made that that uh, presence even more distracting. So one of the references in this article is to to take a, to do a digital detox, um, to really figure out like how to, um, you know, I actually recently started, I turned off all my notifications except things that were work-related. So uh, work-related because I work at home and my phone's part of my job. So that's, that's where I left that on, but like, all other things, personal email, Facebook, any social media things, it's like all off for me. And 
The other thing I think is, which is really important, and and uh, we talk to our kids about this a lot, is like just getting outside and like making sure that you're staying active and as much as you know is safe. So, Jack, I interrupted. Oh no 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 no! I, I'm going to get to my quick take here shortly, but I just wanted to say that I don't know about you. Uh, this is coming from uh, an N of one, which is me, but I feel that this has been a particularly frenzied. Uh, march toward the holiday break. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know if it's just people are really just pushing hard to get things off their plate or to accomplish last minute tasks before I feel like December 23rd is that day. Yeah. It's so late this year. Everyone's just trying to get to it. Um, But yeah, I think that a little uh, intentional R and R is uh is needed that's right indeed guys let's head over to utah for my quick take and specifically dixie state university now i know that that sounds shocking right like you're in utah and there's a state university called dixie and it has absolutely nothing to do with the south uh well they're changing their name And this might be uh, a bit of a a surprise because they just went through a name change not that long ago, not to become Dixie State, but to become Dixie State University. And at the time they achieved university status, they investigated whether or not there should be a name change. And the feeling among alumni, as is always the case, is someone who's worked for an institution that changed their name three times Mm -hmm. uh, from Philadelphia College of Textile Science, Philadelphia University, and then ultimately uh, Thomas Jefferson University. I can tell you that the uh, that alumni never want to change the name. They're invested, never. right? They're invested love in that name. They love, love that it. name. They love it. Uh, but Dixie State is is in a bit of a situation, and the situation is that, for understandable reasons, people who attended Dixie State and people who go there now don't really aren't keen on wearing merchandise that says Dixie on it for all the reasons that relate to obviously the South and the Confederacy. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm happy to provide a historical moment. Uh, But Dixie (laughs) is the nickname of the Southern United States, particularly states part of the Confederacy. I think everyone knows. Uh, Okay. All right. Good. (laughs) So that being said, uh, Dixie is changing its name. Now I don't know what they're changing the name to. Uh, There is some, concerned about it the argument now this is the fascinating thing the argument is we shouldn't have to change our name because dixie state university has nothing to do with dixie as it refers to uh the confederacy Hmm. now if you actually do research though that technically that's true dixie state university is named after a region in utah that is referred to as the dixie region but uh, if you research how the Dixie region became the Dixie region, it became the Dixie region because a great deal of uh, folks who were from the South, from the Confederacy, ultimately moved to that area of Utah. And hence, mm-hmm. it started to be referred to as the Dixie region. So it does still have a linkage to uh, to the Confeder- to, to the South of the Confederacy. But my quick take... Dixie State is becoming something else. But we don't know yet what it will be. But we do not know yet. Hmm. Time will tell. It'd be a fun game to talk about what their potential names could be, but that will take a lot of time. The not-so-quick takes will become very long. Yeah. It could be, you know, Salt State. (laughs) I doubt that. That's a bad name. <laughs> Let me describe and explain. For those of you that yeah, don't know. No, <laughs> kidding. All right. Uh, well, guys, thanks for uh, doing a quick uh, round robin on some fun things that are happening uh, in, in higher ed in the world. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into our main topic here and talk about international recruitment uh, and specifically whether or not any policy changes by the Biden administration 
will solve for what has been a really vexing problem over the last certainly four years. Um, now, interesting, if you take a look at international recruitment trends and international enrollment trends, they tell a little bit of a different story. Uh, if you take a look at international enrollment, uh, you'll actually see some slight increases. Now, that's not necessarily true in this current pandemic time for all the yeah. understandable reasons. But particularly if you take a look at international enrollment due to OPT, right? Um, uh, OPT allows for the continuation of a student visa for some uh, post-academic um, professional experiences uh, for international students. So when, when that's factored into enrollment, you actually see some increases. But if you take a look at uh, international admission mm -hmm. uh, and enrollment from that perspective, uh, we have seen uh, significant decreases. Uh, obviously, that was a bit of a trend that was that was taking shape uh, for a few years prior to the pandemic, and certainly something that is being acutely felt uh, currently. And this has a bit of a long tail. And what I mean by that is, even if Joe Biden gets sworn in and, and provides every single pro policy he could that advances the ability of international students to come to the U.S. and avail themselves of a United States education, even if all that was to happen, you have some fundamental things that have occurred here uh, that are going to have uh, lasting uh, effects. Uh, when you have a decrease in international students participating in uh, American high school education, secondary education, when you have uh, a decrease of international students participating in undergraduate education, all of this then leads to um, a shorter pool of potential international students who have experienced American education continuing on into formalized undergraduate and graduate uh, education experiences too. So um, not something that is going to be, I think, quickly fixed, but no, but certainly we do have some, uh, some, some promising things to look at both in terms of ending this public health crisis and also um, some policy matters that frankly will make the, uh, the United States, once again, I think a bit more welcoming to, uh, to international students. I, I, I'm not going to filibuster here. I know it seems like I am. The only other thing that I wanted to mention is um, as we talk through this, I think it's also important um, at some point in this conversation to talk about the importance of international students on our campuses. Uh, we tend to look at it through the lens of the tuition revenue uh, yeah. that comes with <laughs> This particular population, uh, there aren't a lot of international student scholarships or discounting that occurs. Um, so, so we do tend to look at it through that lens, but it's important, I think, to also look at it as uh, through the lens of globalization, the globalization of our campuses. Yeah, you know, we 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 tend to send folks abroad, uh, domestic students abroad to have that experience. And that's certainly important and valuable and we should continue to do that. But there's also great value in, uh, in globalizing our, our US-based campuses mm -hmm. uh, by having um, folks from, uh, from different, different countries, different backgrounds, different experiences here in the US studying, uh, studying mm -hmm. with us. So uh, with that, I'm gonna turn it over to you guys because I've talked a lot. Yeah. It's uh, it is a, it is a, a long tail, right? I mean, I think that the, you're, you're absolutely right, Jack, that I think enrollment managers, a lot of time typify, we talk about net tuition revenue off, off uh, internationals. And one of the things I was struck as I was reading, you know, more about the topic and more about the, you know, the potential impact of the Biden administration going forward is really, really just like opened up this, maybe a, you know, a, something in my mind that's like, oh, you know, like, a lot of times when students come here to study, they're thinking about their future. They're not necessarily thinking of kind of a, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, kind of being a commuter. A lot of times they're thinking, okay, if I can come and study here, uh, then that really is a gateway to uh, American opportunity. And and I think that that's um, a, a 
a, a very, you know, real thing that we potentially are, I don't want to say missing out on, but I think certainly over the last, you know, number of years, we have been missing, we're missing more of that, right? Like there's a, a real, uh, the impact of the rhetoric, if, if nothing more, the rhetoric of the Trump administration has negatively influenced campuses that I'll, you know, we'll all be interested to see how that, um, how that is, how that is righted, how the ship is righted when it comes to, to that. So, uh, but yeah, great. Uh, you know, some of the trending, the downward trend numbers just are frightening to think of, you know, how, you know, especially campuses in California, some of the impact that they have felt, um, on their campus, you know, relative to the last four years, but even before that, you know, as early as kind of 2003, you know, there's big indicators of the, of the trend kind of starting back then. Um, so I think this will be a very interesting season uh, coming together of the, you know, the relief of the pandemic, but also the change in administration will be a, an equation for growth, I think, in that area. And we have to think too, you know, I, I know we've set in our, in our chairs like a month or two ago, kind of, wondering what will the next few months hold if there's a vaccine. So now, of course, with with the, the recent news of the vaccine being rolled out officially, um, I think that will play a huge part uh, on top of the Biden administration and policies that may be enacted or, of course, any previous policies in the Trump administration that will be possibly rescinded. But I think just the thought of knowing that there is a vaccine now will be interesting in terms of thinking from an international student perspective, you know, with some of those Trump policies, I think it has maybe made a U.S. education less appealing. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot harder, a lot more steps and some things that, that they need to, hoops that they need to go through. But it'll be interesting to see how the vaccine and knowing that we have a vaccine now plays into international student recruitment. Yeah. And I mean, to put some of this into perspective, um, we had seen four consecutive years of decline in international, in new international yeah. student enrollments. Uh, Jamie, you mentioned frightening statistics. Um, this is pretty insane. New enrollment of international students physically in the United States declined mm -hmm. 72%. Wow. wow. I mean, that is... That's outrageous. That is outrageous. Now, one of the things that we, I don't know if we talked about it here on The Buzz or was part of a, a webinar that we we did, um, and I and the institute, the name of the institution escapes me. It was a college of business at a selective um, uh, institution that literally enacted an insurance policy that mm -hmm. should... Chinese student enrollment decline by a set percent. It was a double digit percent. It was like astronomical uh, that a, uh, a multi-million dollar payout would occur to ensure the solvency of, uh, of not the institution, but that specific college. I'm, I'm assuming it was um, based on the way that the budgeting uh, occurred at that institution. Uh, it was to make that specific college of business mm -hmm. remain solvent and we're surely to guard against a major impact in loss and revenue. Uh, the pandemic was enough to actually enact that policy. The premium on that policy was something like $400,000 <laughs> a year. Oh my word. Uh, wow. And I remember reading this and thinking, Wow, the, how short-sighted <laughs> who put together this. I remember being very somewhat critical of the policy at, at the time um, because the idea that something that drastic would occur mm -hmm. uh, was just didn't seem reasonable to me. And it was kind of predicated on a, a couple things. Obviously, there was a significant large uh, Chinese population uh, at this institution. But also, it was right on, I think, right on the heels of a, a few uh, Trump administration policies that 
were particularly hard on on China, right? It was mm-hmm. during yeah. the 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 enactment of the tariffs, um, and there was ta- a lot of talk about a trade war, and so it seemed to come of an outcome of that. No one at the time, obviously, was thinking, "Oh, well, we also should ensure against <laughs> a global pandemic." Yeah, um, right. You know, why so, not? Yeah. So to see the 72%, I mean, now it makes whoever came up with that idea um, just <laughs> seem absolutely brilliant. brilliant. The, Nost- the yeah. Nostradamus of our time. That's um, right. Works at that institution. Yeah. And, you know, look, this, this, this decline is, uh, is difficult to really fully get our heads around at 43% decline uh, if you factor in who is studying online, right? So if you're not just looking at um, uh, folks who are physically here, uh, there are also a number of international students who are studying online. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. so it, even if you factor in uh, those who are availing themselves of online education, you're still looking at a 43% percent decrease. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be hard to dig out of, um, but there are a number of policies in place uh, or potentially in place uh, that could that could help. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about, and I don't know the answer to this, but as you mentioned, Jack, you know, just now the the impact of the pandemic uh, and it's you know high, way more prolific use of online modalities. I have to wonder what the impact of that will be on international students um, desiring to come or even making the effort to come to the United States. And on the on the inverse side is like, uh, how will institutions potentially change some of their international practices in order to better accommodate that sort of a model uh, where students are you know, essentially uh, a virtual student for, you know, maybe some or all. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting to think through. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take, we're going to go in full circle here. My, my kids were talking the other day, you know, cause this, the snowstorm that we're having here is a big, you know, big buildup. And in a middle school or an elementary school kid's mind, it's like, absolutely the, it's like Christmas, right? This is a, they got out of school a little bit early today. So but if you think about the impact of the pandemic on snow days, it, it potentially the, with, the, with the increased uh, usage of tools that we have, we could see the end of what you and I have known historically as the snow day, right? Yep. Like the fact yep. that you're off and you're not you know, participating in class. But I think if we like step that back a little bit further and think about the impact of international education on students who are are abroad, you know, natively abroad and want to stay abroad, you know, what does that do for not only the economic futures of some of the higher ed, higher ed institutions that count on that revenue, those, you know, non-awarded, so to speak, students, but also like how does that dynamic on the long term really impact the culture of their campus? I mean, you know, we're not going to see it happen wholesale, but let's say, you know, a school loses 25% of what was historically, you know, an international population that resided on campus to now that 25% desiring to stay at home and just be online students um, because it's it's uh, maybe potentially more cost effective or easier or what, what have you. I think it's a very interesting uh, conundrum and probably represents a significant market share of students that could be courted and maybe maybe treated accordingly. Right. And I read in a Forbes article actually recently a little bit about international students and they bring and and what they do contribute to the economy, the U.S. economy. I think it was yeah. 39, $39 billion and support over over 400,000 jobs. So mm-hmm. I think you raise a good point, Jamie, um, from us from an international student perspective uh, in weighing those options and how that will affect not only the U.S. economy. And, mm-hmm. and job, but also the culture of the of the campus as well. So you know, yeah. it's so important to have international students on campus to bring those, um, you know, those cross cultural experiences together. And one, I think that's what makes campuses so unique. So that will be interesting if if campuses, you know, 
continue to see a decline. Yeah. I love going down to university city in Philly. Uh, and you know, one time I was down there, we were going out to dinner with the kid, with my kids. And I remember seeing my first cricket game and I was like, Oh, that's amazing. You know, cause you know, like that's not an America, we don't see that in America. And I'm here to see this group of students just playing cricket. And I'm like, that's, that's a thing of beauty right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, look, cricket is important. It is important. <laughs> it is. It's a it's a big piece of, uh, <laughs> of the globalization of our campuses. That's um, right. Well, I mean, I think you know, getting to the value. I mean, you're talking about the economic value, and that's super important. There's also you know, one of the things that our our graduate programs do is uh, our graduate students serve a really significant function in serving as researchers um, and research assistants. Yes. And and international students are a big piece of that. I mean, look, there are graduate programs where the majority of students in the graduate program mm-hmm. are international students. Um, yeah. And as such, those research assistantships, sometimes teaching assistantships, but in this case, research assistantships, uh, they're they're very important in making sure that the research that is uh, really a a foundation of American innovation. I mean, when you take a look at some of the most innovative developments that have occurred uh, in the world, frankly, they have occurred in American universities, uh, in in labs, uh, in research facilities uh, across the United States, mm-hmm. and you know, that in order for that to happen, yeah, these programs, these, uh, these researchers, these faculty researchers need access to, uh, quality, um, uh, research assistance and international students are a, a huge supply of that group. And for anyone out there, uh, who's saying, well, those research assistance ships should be given to American students. Uh, well, they are, but but there just aren't enough uh, American students who can avail themselves to the demand uh, for those positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, the fact of the matter is that uh, there are often um, some incredibly um, uh, just just some really solid opportunities uh, that exist that must be uh, mm-hmm. be filled by an international student population. Yeah. And that's a valuable thing. Right. And in, if, if the United States is to maintain the level of uh, innovation that that occurs, then American campuses have to continue to contribute meaningfully to uh, to that innovation. And that means making sure that robust programs of research continue to happen Um uh, populated by, uh, domestic and international students alike. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one other question, you know, I think an interesting, uh, this is not necessarily, uh, uh, directly associated with international students, but I think with the administration change, uh, going to the Biden administration, I think we'll also see, again, this will be, uh, I think the, the American, a uh, higher ed experience will will definitely rebound from this pandemic, right? We're going to see this bounce that's going to be amazing to participate in and watch. Uh, but I think one of the things that's also going to happen on the on the coattails of the pandemic and the uh, change in administration, hopefully, will be greater opportunities uh, of. American students going abroad, you know, more integration with campuses that are that are a field. Uh, I know that we have a couple of clients that have foreign, uh, you know, foreign based campuses or uh, European based campuses or places like that. And I think that that will also be something that we see uh, as an outtake of this this transition in our country. And I think that will be a welcome experience as well. Yeah, guys, you know, this is fascinating because I'm now beginning to think about, Jamie, you might remember this, uh, in November or December of 2019, you and I were charged with 
providing uh, our 2020 vision. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. So we were interviewing. Look it up. Look it up. It's on the internet. Yeah, you could still find it. Uh, <laughs> we were interviewed and basically asked, okay, in your case, all things undergrad, you were mm-hmm. asked about what 2020 held for undergrad. And I was asked what 2020 held for grad. And I know in my 2020 vision uh, prediction, I talked a lot about international uh, enrollment and recruitment because I really did feel that we were at a moment where um, the declines that we were seeing were going to begin to, yeah, to stabilize and yep. and turn around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that was because of a much more intentional effort on the part of institutions to establish, to your point, these partnerships that uh, maybe don't provide an actual uh, uh, campus overseas, but uh, provide uh, a, a partnership that would allow for ready access to sure. students who desired studying in the United States. Um, and and that was really great to see because some institutions were doing a lot of that work, but so much of the the focus of international recruitment and enrollment uh, had to do with, you know, going on the world tour, right? You'd send your uh, international admissions counselor out there to go uh, tour the world and and drum up some some applicants. Uh, or, you know, you had uh, institutions who were contracting with agents mm-hmm. uh, who would represent your brand uh, in their home countries and regions. And a lot of that, of course, is still work that's important to do and will be important to do once we can freely travel again. But, uh, but to see these more um, uh, invested efforts to partner with institutions is uh, is something that's really meaningful, and I hope that that work does indeed continue uh, mm-hmm. robustly uh, once we get out of all of this. As it relates to the Biden administration, uh, you know, there's a lot of work, regardless of administration, that um, that the Department of State, the Department of Commerce, does. Uh, we've done capture joint presentations with the Department mm-hmm. of Commerce, uh, basically talking about the ways in which you can uh, actively recruit international students to our campuses, uh, encouraging folks from overseas to uh, communicate the value of U.S.-based study. Um, that work will continue uh, and be uh, accelerated and advanced based on specifically specific policy changes by uh, the incoming uh, administration uh, that has a number of policy proposals in this area. And, you know, a lot of this is directly controlled by the president. So one of the things Mm -hmm. that we talked about last episode was, you know, what, what legislation could be enacted, but as it relates to immigration and policies for student visas, H1B visas um, that allow for study, those are executive decisions. So it's not like, you know, Biden has to worry about, you know, whether he can get things passed through a Republican Congress, he can, Mm -hmm. he can make these changes on his own. Uh, Ashley, you mentioned Forbes, Forbes had a great kind of bulleted list of the number of initiatives that are being proposed that would in effect rescind a lot of the restrictions that the Trump administration had placed on Uh, student study. One that really had a lot of folks scratching their head had to do with the fact that your ability to study in the United States was directly connected to to the admission period as opposed to uh, your duration of status so long as you were making progress toward your degree uh, and studying full-time. And it basically put people in a situation where they could no longer guarantee that their student visa would be active through the duration of their their program, yeah. uh, which was a head scratcher. I mean, how on earth you can plan on where you're going to be and where you're going to study if you if you can't plan on your ability to literally study in that country for that period of time? There's mm-hmm. no way. If I feel like we just have to end with good news, right? We just have to end with like the fact that, you know, even uh, as reported by the Chronicle, uh, even in the days since the election, there's already uh, more 
interest on internet on uh, from international students on looking up American colleges uh, according to our you know the search engine Big Brother that's watching all of us. Um, <laughs> so that is that is certainly good news. I think all the way around. I think that is compounded by the good news of you know the distribution of the vaccine, uh, especially in the United States, but also, you know, everywhere. I think that that's, uh, there's, there's certainly reason as we head into this semester break for, for everyone to take stock and, uh, you know, look forward to 2021 and the, and the things that it will bring, uh, relative to, uh, expansion and growth and a return to that, which we, which we normally call normal which we normally call normal. <laughs> oh, that should be the title of this episode. Normally called normal. That which we normally call normal. That is a compelling piece of wordsmithing, isn't it? <laughs> you can tell that I've been doing some writing. All uh, right. Well, more to come. More, to, more come, to come. More to come on, uh, on this. And we obviously will continue to follow international enrollment trends um, Absolutely. at Capture. and. This brings us to our behind the curtain moment. Yeah. So Jamie, let's pull back the curtain and uh, why don't you share a little bit, a little bit with us. This is going to be a mini pull back the curtain because um, what we're going to do and what we're working on in, in the capture sphere is uh, well, well, for all of those who are out there listening, if you don't know this already, capture really loves data. We love taking data and looking at trends and learning points and findings and what can we do with it? How can we use this in this way and all this kind of things? I mean, uh, in any given day, the data that flies around the capture uh, offices or remote offices, as it were, uh, is just astounding. And the things that we are able to see and the insights that we gain are they're critical for our own op, uh, our own operation. They're critical for our, the clients that we uh, you know that we work with and that we are constantly optimizing campaigns because of what we find. Um, and in light of this, uh, as we are starting to really kind of embark on 2021, one of the things that we're working on, uh, which we're hoping I think to publish in in early in, sorry early February is a book of data insights relative to three keywords that are very uh, important to most enrollment managers. Does anyone want to venture a guess to what those three words are? I don't hear anyone in the audience saying anything. I know what they are, so. I know, because you're in the <laughs> meetings with me. <laughs> How about you, Ashley? Do you want to guess what those words are? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you so that you don't guess wrong, so that you don't guess wrong on the air. Um, the three words that are critical to every enrollment manager are identify, convert, and enroll, because those are three things that uh, not only do we all need to do, uh, but we also actually need to get better at it all the time. So this is one of those perpetual optimization processes that we are going through. So Capture is, uh, we are digging deep into the data warehouse to find our best examples of conversion, sorry, identification, conversion, and enrolling so that we can share those. Uh, because one of the things, again, that we like to do is to take that data, the data points that we see, the campaigns that we run, and figure out what in this can help everyone? How can we go out to the world and say, here's what we're seeing, how can you use this? Um, and I think that's what I'm excited about. This pull back the curtain is, is it really a, a sneak peek into this uh, data insights book that we're working on? Um, and it's just gonna be, I think a really nice piece of a, a mix, uh, you know, it's, it's a mix between uh, the elements of data science, which we are, we are always indebted to, but also uh, folding in a, a mix of that, you know, tactical pragmatic element that we all need to, to have as part of our practice. So I think that that's, that's where we will be. Uh, I hope that you are as excited as you can tell that I am as we are working on this. 
Um, and uh, we're looking forward to just to, to having it. And I'm sure that on one of these uh, subsequent episodes of The Buzz that we will um, we will tell you when it's done and tell you where you can find it. So until then, just wait with bated breath because I, it's it's coming. I can I say something about this? Yeah, you absolutely can. Because this is news to me. I am so excited to see this because we have so many great data savvy partners that yeah. yearn for this type of information. And especially now this year, you know, we have a lot of partners that are doing things a lot differently and they're making decisions and, and we're making campaign optimizations based on, like you said, data that we've been collecting and what we're seeing. And from my perspective too, we have a lot of partners that are asking, okay, like, what are y'all seeing? What are other partners doing? Like, what should we be doing differently? And I mm -hmm. love that this will add to that discussion yeah, to help our partners be better and, and for us to be better. But I do have one, one question for Jamie and Jack when this does roll out. Will you both autograph it for me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you really want that, then it can be, it can be arranged. I will contact my agent. I'll have, yeah, I'll have my people call your people. Yeah, well, I'll have to see. Jack, what's your publicist say? Uh, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. We're going to start a virtual uh, book tour with you guys. Ooh. Data Insights Ooh, Tour. That'd be great. Oh, Data Insights Tour. I like that. That's got a nice ring to it. Doesn't no. it? Well, I'm excited. About, I, I agree with you. I am super excited about the book. I mean, I'm yeah. used to the white papers and case studies and whatnot that we um, – that we push out to the world. So to have all this uh, together in one large compendium. Ooh, oh, that's a big word. There you go. Write that one down. My word of the week this week. Oh, that's Jack's word of the week. Compendium. <laughs> uh, plus it, uh, it, it just makes sense. I mean, in everything that we do, we strive to be the very best uh, in identification and conversion leading to that point of enrollment. Um, and if we can put all that together in a way uh, where we're providing uh, those behavioral intelligence nuggets. Um, yeah. That's uh, that's great for everyone that's going to be able to access that and who is an enrollment manager. So, yeah. Great. Well, well Jamie, thanks for, uh, thanks for that behind the curtain. Yeah. No, and no problem guys, at all. Yeah. And thanks for another great episode for everyone who is listening to us. Thank you so much. As you know, Good reviews are appreciated. So wherever you get your podcast, uh, please provide us with a nice review. Uh, and even actually, even if it's not a great review, um, you can message us and we can learn and get better. So thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, to everyone out there, this will be our last podcast until we return for 2021. So until we do that, do what Jamie suggested and give yourself yes. uh, a little restorative relaxation until we meet again, everyone season's greetings, happy holidays, and we'll see you in 2021. Thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of the buzz captures podcast for higher ed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review and share with your colleagues and friends tweet to us at capture higher ed with your comments and suggestions. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts until next time. Cheers.